We talked last, uh, yesterday afternoon, about the eternality of Christ, how He has always existed. He always will exist. He's God the Son. This morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because we want to look at the eternality of our lives, of our present life. Did you know that what you do right now could last forever? It, 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 it's not guaranteed that it will, but it could if we follow the instructions in the text we're about to examine. God is up to something big, and He's up to something good, and you are welcomed to be a part of it. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9 through 23 this morning. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. As we ponder this question, what is eternal about Christmas? We pick it up at verse 9, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple." Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Please have a seat. We're in this series, Your Part in Building a Healthy Church in a Pagan World, and, you know, I, I quite frequently do not take special... Um, uh, exceptions for Christmas and Easter, but continue in an exposition of the book that we are in here at East White Oak. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is that if you just happen to come only on Christmas and Easter, you'll only ever hear two stories. <laughs> and I, I do want those of you who attend just those times to have your appetite whetted for more, that there's more about the Christian message than the birth and resurrection of our Lord, although those are two great messages, aren't they? 
we're talking about your part in building a healthy church in a pagan world, and we're thinking about the eternal value of our present life. Here in the first section, verses 9 to 15, we're going to see that the church is God's building, and each individual has the opportunity to make eternal impact. We're God's building, it says there in verse 9. You are God's building. Now, it's tempting to think of the language that Paul uses here as describing physical buildings, but that's wrong as we shared with the children. Paul is saying, when he says you, he's saying you all. He's not saying you individually. We together as the church, God's gathered community, are God's building. Paul's using an analogy of a physical building to being who we are gathered together. In verse 10, Paul was given a specific responsibility for that building. His responsibility was to be a wise master builder, an architect, if you will, to lay a foundation. And other people built on that foundation too. There was Apollos and Cephas, also known as the Apostle Peter. And what had happened at Corinth was that people were thinking about these various builders on the foundation of God's people, the building of God's people, they were thinking that one was more important than another, and they were dividing up into factions. I'm of Paul, and another group was saying, I'm of Apollos. And Paul is saying, no, 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 I was a builder, but there are other builders, Apollos, Cephas. In fact, we could say that there have been many people who have built on the foundation of God's building through the centuries of Christianity down to the present day. This is why we all need to be careful about how we build on that foundation of God's church, because we are all, if you're a believer in Jesus, all of us are building on that foundation. Just the question is, is what kind of materials are you using to build with? And we'll be talking about that in just a second. Verse 11, um, <clears throat> we're not given the task to build a different building or to build on a different foundation. That's not our task. There's only one foundation, and that is Jesus Christ. If you are in your life investing in things that are not necessarily wrong, having a wonderful career, wife, family, husband, interests, those are not all wrong things, but if that's that's the drive of your life, you've got the wrong foundation. The foundation is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith. That's the only way you can have your present life matter for eternity. So there's no other foundation. You have to build on Jesus Christ with your life. He's the only way to God. So don't start on another foundation. But verse 12 tells us that we can mess up even if we build on the right foundation. We can put our faith and hope in Christ. And then we construct our lives with 
various kinds of building materials, as it were, in this analogy. There's gold, silver, precious stones on the one hand, there's wood, hay, and straw on the other. And the fact is we need to be careful with these building materials. There's a category here of building material that it's not necessarily false, but the materials are inferior. Paul lists those as wood and hay and straw. And there's another category of building materials that's not only true, but it's superior in quality. He calls those gold and silver and precious stones. And according to verse 13, we may not really know without a lot of reflection, if we don't have any reflection on it, we may not know until we meet up with God in heaven whether or not what our work has been has lasted forever or not. It says, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. That is, it'll become known for the day will disclose it. What's that day? It's the day of the Lord, the day of His coming. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. That there's somehow every believer in Jesus is going to have their work tested by the Lord as to whether it is an enduring work or not. Uh, some of us may think, well, boy, I'm glad I'm not a pastor or a missionary then because I don't have to do that. Mm. Sorry, no Christian will be a casual observer of this. Every believer is going to meet with Jesus and the quality of their building of what they have built upon in their life will be tested. Every believer. It says each one's work will become manifest. Um, one of the TV shows that I kind of get a kick out of is called Forged in Fire, where these guys make swords and knives and stuff. And one of the things that happens is there'll be a guy who can make a beautiful looking sword or a knife, but then they put it through these tests. You know, they whack it with, on an ice block or they stab pigs with it. It's all kind of, it's, it's, it's a man's show, okay. But, but sometimes the knife and the sword just breaks or crumples, right? Because the test, and they go, surrender your weapon, your weapon failed the test, right? And when I was when I was studying this text, I thought about that meeting before the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the eternal God. And what I've done in with my life is going to be tested by fire. Note the assumption in verse 14 is that the Christian always builds on the foundation of Christ. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. The assumption is everyone who's a believer is building on the foundation. No work built on another foundation is going to be tested. It's not even going to be tested because that work is absolutely meaningless, okay? That work doesn't even count. <laughs> but notice it says... 
there in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up. This is a believer who's invested in all the wrong stuff, build his life on all the wrong things, build on the foundation of Christ, knows Jesus, has trusted Christ, but he's spent his life, she's spent her life on frivolities, things that don't matter. Notice the description. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The issue is not whether or not they're saved. The issue is everything they've done has mattered absolutely nothing for eternity. A sobering thought, isn't it? Great loss, it says, comes from working to build with inferior materials. So let's think about some applications here. You know, there are people, there are churches that are building on the foundation of Christ, real believers, but they're building with inferior materials. Great, magnificent edifices of wood and hay and straw are being built. And at the moment, it looks impressive, but when it stands before Jesus it will not endure. I think of this picture here. This is in the Netherlands. It's a building made out of 10,000 bales of straw. It's magnificent looking, right? But what happened if somebody threw some gasoline on it and lit it up? What would happen to it? I mean, pretty quickly, right? And so many of us are building on the foundation of Christ with inferior materials. The first order of business, of course, is to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So you must put your faith and hope in Christ, friends. If you have not done that, you must begin there. Before you even start thinking about building materials that you build your life on, You start with surrendering your life to Christ. There are a lot of organizations that are losing even that. You know, we can build our lives, we could build an organization on political philosophy, either liberal or conservative. We can build it on COVID beliefs, either high or low restrictions. We can build them on traditions or on not having any traditions or people holding so strongly to them that they're willing to leave a church to, if those traditions get challenged. There are many people who are building their lives simply on the self-perpetuation of their own thinking and the crafting of activities and raising money to feed the monster. The first order of business is to build the foundation on Jesus Christ. The second order of business is to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ with enduring materials. Things like the Word of God, prayer, investment in people's lives in substantial ways, not just in frivolous, hey, how you doing kind of ways, but really connecting with the idea in mind of growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
So we have to ask ourselves the question, I have asked myself this question, what kind of building would, if we are as God's people, God's building, what would we look like if it depended on my work, my maturity, my focus on being a worshiper maturing in Christ? That's a sobering question that I hope you'll think about too. Now, in the second half of this section, Paul goes on to say, you're not just God's building, you're God's temple. Now, one of the difficulties here is that so often when we read the word you, we think you individually. And that is not true in this chapter. The word you means all y'all who are believers in Jesus. So, collectively, we are God's temple. It is common understanding, in fact, among all religions of the world that a temple is not just where people worship. A temple is where God lives. And this is exactly why the next phrase occurs. God's Spirit dwells in you. God dwells in His corporate people. Now, this verse does not teach individual indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, The Holy Spirit does indwell individuals, and that individual indwelling is taught elsewhere in the Bible. But that's not what's being taught here. What's being taught here is that Paul is making the case for the precious, eternal value of the church of Jesus, not the building, not the physical building, but the people as where God dwells. The Old Testament, God caused His name to dwell in the Holy of Holies. Now, God causes His name to dwell, His Spirit indwells, His people gathered. This is why gathering together on Christmas morning is a distinctly beautiful act. We are saying by this that the presence of God in our midst is more important than the presence under the tree. Now, there's a warning attached to this teaching. If anyone destroys God's temple, that is, destroys the church, right? The the gathered people of the church. If you destroy that, God will destroy him. Um, This tells us, first of all, it's possible to destroy God's people, God's temple. For his own purposes, often hidden, God allows people to destroy churches by their evil actions, but God's going to destroy those who destroy His church. I say, why would God be so harsh about this? The reason is the holiness of the church. Destroying the church would be like destroying the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, in Israel's temple. You remember Uzzah when they had the Ark on the ox cart and he reached out to steady it? What happened to him? Boom! This is a holy thing. God's people gathered is a a holy moment, a holy thing. And so in verse 18, Paul seeks to make some applications to his teaching. He says, don't deceive yourself. If you think you're so smart to cut the church down to size, and by the way, there's a lot of things to criticize about the church, aren't there? But if you think you're so smart as to cut the church down to size, you should become a fool. You should be ready to listen so that you can become wise. 
verse 19, God catches up with you. Just as the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, we saw that in chapter 1, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting in chapter 1, Paul says that the wisdom of the the word of the cross is folly to those that are perishing, but now God, he turns it around and says, the wisdom of the world, that's folly with God. Verse 20, God knows your thoughts and intentions better than you do. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So we ought to address these things with some degree of humility, shouldn't we? Verse 21 So let no one boast in men. In other words, stop taking favorites. Stop saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this and I'm of that one. No, 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 because all of these are God's gifts to you. And let's think about all the things that are God's gifts to the church. The leaders of the church belong to the church. Paul, Apollos, Cephas. But more than that, look how Paul goes on to say, the world is yours, life is yours, death is yours, the present is yours, the future is yours is yours. All are yours. It's in the church's hands because it's in God's hands. You are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So, we don't need the world's wisdom to be Christ's ambassadors. We can be confident that the Lord of the church has given you and me everything that we need to accomplish our mission in this world. You can't ever say, I don't have enough clarity from God. He has made it known to us. A second application, and I just want to say this, uh, is be very careful about trying to turn the church into a political scheme. It's very easy for members of a church uh, when something, and I'm talking to a whole bunch of people here, so I'm assuming that not every one of you are part of East White Oak, and here we have a remarkable unity, but chances are good that you may be in a church that's going through some challenge right now. If you are, be careful that you're not one who joins in the politics and the scheming of it. It's going to put you on God's bad side, as this text is clear. Third application. We don't have to be clever in order to be successful as a Christian. Sometimes we think so. Oh, if I just knew exactly how to, you know, communicate the gospel in this or that way. There's certainly helpful ways for us to think about how to do those things, but don't think you've got to be clever. The world thinks you're a fool anyway. And by the way, God thinks they are, (laughs) that they're a fool. So, we stand between God and the world, and what we want to say is, You think that you're so smart, but God thinks you're a fool. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. Last thing, we should not focus on gifted people. A lot of times that happens, doesn't it? Uh, You look at the world, and there are musicians that are hailed for how amazing their music is. And then, remarkably enough, they end up testifying in Congress on some issue that's unrelated to their ability to sing. And you think, how did they get to be an expert in that? You know, 
Well, it's they're popular, right? That's, that's, that's kind of how the world works. Paul is saying, church, don't work that way. Don't focus on gifted people. Focus on Christ because all things are ours in Christ Jesus. Now, a number of you remarked about my sweater this morning. Um, I said to you yesterday afternoon that I, I bought this sweater in 1979. <clears throat> uh, my boys see me when they close their eyes and see me, they see me in this sweater. I'll probably be, uh, because I put it on like Mr. Rogers at the end of a day, um, <clears throat> I will probably be buried in this sweater. But it's deteriorating. There's pills on it. it. It bears the marks of 43 years of use. And some of us, when we look at our own bodies, can see the deterioration of our own physical selves, right? Um, like when I ask the children, how many of you like to run? Turn around. How many of you like to run? We change. But here's, here's, here's the thing. What Paul is saying in this text, live for the things that really matter, beginning with Christ as your sure foundation. Everything else is going to burn. Everything else. Let's pray. Now, God, we want to take time right now to ask you to speak to our hearts. Just give us a moment here, Lord, to think about what it is we should take away from what we have experienced this morning. In this quiet moment, we ask you to speak to each person's heart. Father in heaven, where there are people who have not built on the right foundation, help them to see that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open their eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit to this truth, that they would say to you, Lord, forgive me of my sin by what you did at the cross. Please give to me the eternal life you've promised and help me to build my present life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we ask that you would forgive those of us who have put our faith in Christ for all those times when we have built with wood and hay and straw. We know that that will burn on the day of the Lord. Help us from this day forward so to build that what we would be building would endure forever. Thank you for your word and for the communion we have with you through prayer and for the power of your temple, the people of God, whom the Holy Spirit indwells, to encourage us in this wonderful grand adventure until Jesus comes. In his name, amen. Merry Christmas to you all.